American United has a convenient branch right at the VA Medical Center, along with eight other locations across Utah. As a member, our veterans get the best rates on loans and savings products. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today we're back with part two of our episode with Sarah Lynn. A lot of times we have this white saver mentality going into these countries and say, I'm just going to give money, I'm going to save you, as opposed to opening up that dialogue and asking, you know, what are your needs? How would you solve this problem? How can we walk alongside of you? This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on Episode 6. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really... Uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Sarah, just as a quick recap, um, we were talking on the last episode, and anybody who hasn't listened to that should definitely go back and hear about how Ellie Funday started and and the women in the developing world, specifically in India, that, that you're helping, giving them this stable employment and an opportunity to get away from abuse. Um, but we were talking about, you know, this idea of making the world better, but making a profit at the same time and just how sustainable that is at home and abroad. And we were talking, you were bringing up that example of at the trade shows and how you really work to make people your friend. Mm-hmm. And as I'm listening to it, I'm kind of smiling at my end because I'm thinking that's so genius um, and I think so often, whether it's a sales rep or a CEO who's, who's trying to promote the business, trying to find clients, it's like the difference between short-term thinking and long-term thinking that makes a difference, right? Like, right. I, I think so many people would say, hey, you know, that sounds nice. Are you going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya next? Um, <laughs> but you made a comment earlier in the last episode about keeping the numbers in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you, I think you said uh, the idea of go first. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the give first. Give first. That's what you said. I love this idea of give first because anybody who's got any type of long-term thinking knows that people buy from people they like, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So like trying to close them on the sale this instant versus building a deep relationship that could be a large buyer account from a major Mm -hmm. organization, like 
besides that, that's your reputation. Anyways, have you always sold that way or, or were there people that inspired you to do it even more this friendship way or? I think that it's our, our personality tends to be more, um, we both my husband and I are, are just natural networkers and we just love being with people. And at the same time, we've had mentors that have modeled that for us. Mm. Um, one of our mentors, as I mentioned in our last episode, um, started this amazing, um, social enterprise called Freeset Global and Carrie and Annie Hilton, they modeled that for us. And what they did was they, they do amazing work, but we went to visit them early in our research. And I remember on our last day, the wife, Annie slipped me this little note and inside the note was a hundred bucks. And she said, this is for you guys. This is my little bit of seed money and take it and use it. And I was just floored by that. And a hundred bucks in rupees is a lot exponentially. And, and, and that just kind of set the tone for me and saying, you know what, her generosity has floored me. And I want to do the same, whether it's the suppliers that we work with, whether it is the people that we um, employ and even the friends that we meet. And I want to be generous with what we are giving because we've been given so much ourselves. And so I think that that's always been in us, but I think that just meeting people along the way that have done the same for us have really um, encouraged us to do the same. No, I love it. It's like generosity as a competitive advantage, huh? Right. And I feel as if this world is already competitive and I think you're turning the tables a little bit and saying, hey, we're all trying to achieve the same thing. And if we're going to try and do good, we got to do this together. If there's no, the hoarding mentality really is not going to work. And I think that if we're going to try to do some kind of change, we, we all need each other's help. So that's the mindset that we go into. Yeah. Um, I'm interested with, with your own team and, and the, you know, people who help you make all this happen. Um, have you, have you seen this beneficial in the way that you work with the people that support you just as far as, you know, I think a lot of times it's easy for bosses to make orders and, you know, delegate, <laughs> <laughs> delegate harshly without taking into consideration what it's like to receive our delegation. Yeah. Um, can you, can you talk about that in your own life? Yeah. Um, I think that I, I'm, I think I'm a very demanding boss. Yes. <laughs> my employees, that, but not in the sense of like, do this now, but more so I think I have high expectations because I believe that they can achieve it. And it comes back, I think to my own childhood, I could technically say I have a tiger mom, but I think that the reason behind that was because she believed that I had the potential to reach somewhere. And so she would push me and it was done in a way that was gentle. And I think that I take that same sort of mentality and how I lead is that I believe that you could achieve this goal and I'm going to set some stretch goals for you here that may be a little bit uncomfortable, but when you reach it, I think that you'll really feel proud of um, that destination that you have got. And the same thing for the women, the women that we started working with, we, we started our very first batch that landed, we had a high defect rate of 20%. And that was just terrible, but we kind of knew that that was going to happen. But I started to set the bar higher and said, you know what, you guys, I think you could do better. And this is how we're going to do it together. And we, we are now at what is called the acceptable quality limit for industry. And they are so proud of that, that they said, okay, I went from like 20% like defect now to like 2%. And I think that <laughs> there's something very proud for them to say like, oh, we can make this now. And so I think that in that instance, <clears throat> I, I like to set the bar a little bit high so that people could actually know that that's what they could achieve. So, 
It sounds like when you're doing that, though, that it is it's not like you're doing it to someone that you're doing it with them, that you're you're considering what their potential is. You're not just arbitrarily decreeing what it should be. Right. Anything that comes with knowing, I think it's like knowing your child and knowing what their potential is. And the same way, like I like to get to know my um, staff and what they're capable is, what their skill sets are. We, whenever we hire, we have them take Myers-Briggs test and also um, an Enneagram. I come from a psychology background. And so I really want to find out what their personality is and how they could fit with a team and also build a role to work towards towards their strengths. And so I think that that's usually how I like to coach um, my employees and even the ladies that we work with as well. Yeah. Um, I'm such a huge fan of, of coaching. I feel like that, I, I don't know, the, the biggest benefits that ever happened to me was somebody taking me under their wing and showing me how it's been done. I feel really lucky with the quality of people that have done that for me. Um, did, did you have that in your career before starting your own thing here? Did you ever have a boss or somebody that you felt like coached you in that kind of way or not hmm. as much? I think that I don't think I had any former coaches, but I feel as if a lot of my former creative directors, because um, of their leading, they really helped me form my skill sets. And I remember early on in my design career, I would be working with a creative director and he would ask me to fix all of these widows in my type. And I was like, why do we need to do this? It's like terrible. It just seems so like inane. But now I think that it's really helped me to hone my typography. And I think that like through his coaching and the work that he's doing, I think that really helped me. And the other thing that they did was whenever we pitched, they didn't just send the senior creative directors to pitch. They actually let the younger juniors pitch their ideas. And I think that that in itself told me that I was valued and the work that I did was valued. And the outcome of it was that a lot of, in turn, I think a lot of my designs were actually chosen because I pitched it myself and I was most passionate about design as opposed to somebody else pitching it. And so I think that to this day, I think that putting me up front in front of a client now has made me much more confident in speaking to clients now. And I think that they didn't wait till I became a creative director to put me in front of people. So I think that in itself was very valuable for me. You know, it's, it's interesting how having that kind of faith in the people that report to us almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like my guess is in the future, when you thought I might en end up being the one pitching this, <laughs> I'm just going to go out on a limb here, but I'm guessing that might've spurred you to put like your extra discre <laughs> discretionary effort in knowing that right. you might <laughs> have to be the one to pitch it. Is that... Yeah. Is that the case or not so much? I think that you like I think that forces you to um really validate your design. I think that really forces you to think through the process of how I'm going to sell this to somebody that doesn't really have the same vocabulary that we do but add value to their company and I think that that in itself is like having empathy for the clients like okay, I could tell them okay, this is why this color would work, I tell them why this type would work, but it really wouldn't matter to them from a, from their standpoint of view. On, in terms of the bottom line, how is this going to reach your customers is probably the better question that they're going to ask. Yeah. Um, I can tell just like from the tone of your voice, that, like there's like this enthusiasm, even though it's not your job <laughs> anymore, right? Um, <laughs> I love design. I still do. <laughs> but, but think about this. Like, so I'm an art school dropout originally myself, <laughs> right? Got, took awesome. a very, very traditional route to mergers and acquisitions through art school, right? Um, <laughs> But, uh, but I think about it in all the companies and many failed companies since, you know, I'm always doing the business cards. I'm always like getting back to my design roots a little bit. Right. Yeah. And 
when I knew it was for me, like I could spend endless hours, you know, even when my wife wishes I wouldn't, right? Um, you think about like how much quality comes out of high levels of personal responsibility and think about like what the story you just told, like how much personal responsibility are you taking for this design to be awesome that, you know, if somebody hadn't given you that experience or if they hadn't done those things that let you know that you really mattered to them, you know, can't, they can't really put that on a, on a checklist, try extra, right. extra hard, you know, like how do bosses like demand the discretionary effort? They can't like staff have to give it to you. Right. Right. And you know, it's funny you say that because I, I, t- I am a perfectionist, but at the same time I try to actually be as hands off as possible. And it seems like an oxymoron, but, um, that so far has worked because the more hands off I am, the more my employees actually go, Oh my gosh, I need to actually be responsible for this. And so like even my shipping manager, she's like, she takes care of all of our shipping and she like feels entirely responsible for like any sort of defects that happen. And she feels really bad when it's just a small thing, but I tell her, you know what? It's okay. It's fixable. But she has such ownership of the role that she has because I might check in with her like once or twice a week in terms of how things are going. I don't like go through all of our shipping and say, oh, did you build this? Is build this. And so I think having a level of trust definitely helps with developing your leaders. And, you know, I believe in the skill set that you have and I believe that you'll make the judgment call. And I think that releases me to um, do what I'm best to do and it releases the people that I hire to do what they're great at too as well. So <laughs> I'm just laughing. <laughs> but the number two in our company, his name is Daniel Taylor. And mm-hmm. like, he, he totally runs my life. Like it, it doesn't hurt that he actually is more responsible than me, <laughs> but, but is this thing where like I, we, you know, right from the start, uh, we put a lot of trust in him and he like rose to the occasion so much that now we have entire teams of people that report to him, you know? And, um, I think that it was that thing. It's almost like, it's almost funny that, um, the less work you do as the boss, like the less micromanaging, the harder <laughs> work that they, it's, it's like a double-edged sword in your benefit of totally. or the, the one, two punch of like the more responsibility I, I like the less work I do, the more, the better things go is, <laughs> but I think like for me again, you know, a little bit of inner perfectionist, there's plenty of times I'm so tempted to like jump in and tell them they did it wrong. Right. Yeah. But uh-huh. there's no way they're going to grow if I do that, right. you know, like, and, and so I think that's interesting, your story about the, the presentations. I know we've spent a bit of time on it, but to me, like that's a risk for them to let a junior mm-hmm. person in the presentation. Yeah. But the difference between short-term thinking and long-term thinking there of, yeah, but if they do let you potentially mess this one up, they're growing you into the kind of person that can be doing other pitches that they don't even right. have to go through at all, Right. Right, right, right. And I do think that there's like a little bit of like natural selection because like if you know you're going to pitch, you're going to want to get your act together. You're not just going to go and go, I'm going to say whatever. You're like, you're going to meet the client. So you got to get. And so that in itself, I think, pushes like there's like natural pressure there. And so I think there there is definitely that. And if you screw up, it's, you know, it's on you and you know it. And so you're going to be better the next time. So I think that's there's there's definitely value in that. That's fun. Well, shifting gears here, um, we always like to ask people for advice about our charity, Child Rescue, and mm-hmm. advice you would have for us as we're trying to attract more people to to caring about preventing human trafficking and child trafficking. And you're mm-hmm. already in this cause where, where you're literally employing these kind of women. Uh, what advice would you have for us of things that you've seen work for you, attracting people to the cause in the way that you guys are working yes. on it, and just in general? 
Yeah, I think that people connect to people. I think that's really what we always learn. And I think that it's really easy to do what I, I call like the typical, like here's a needy child, like picture and make it sad and tug at people's heartstrings. But I think that that's almost inauthentic to the individual, whereas these people actually have a sense of joy as well. And to share their stories is so much more impactful. And so um, oftentimes we try to tell individual stories of the women that we work with and the impact that it's made on their lives. And I feel that that's so much more meaningful. And also it connects on a level where, you know, this woman actually is a mom and she's just like me. And she has children that she needs to take care of. And just me doing a little bit of um, helping either our company, LA Funday, or your company, just a little bit, you're empowering her to do what we may not, you know, where we, where we may actually take for granted a little bit of something. And I also think that education helps a little bit. Um, one book that was recommended by one of our mentors early on was a book called When Helping Hurts. And I think that a lot of times we have this white savior mentality going into these countries. Like, I'm just going to give money. I'm going to save you as opposed to opening up that dialogue and asking, you know, what are your needs? How would you solve this problem? How can we walk alongside of you it is a much more different, um, I think, tone. And it and that's something that I had to learn from my own failures as well. And just asking the women, you know, how do you solve this problem? And so many times they have so much, so much more innovative ideas than I do that I've never seen. And I think that co-creation of a solution seems so much more viable for a long run. And that's what that book talks about. It's like, how do you partner and walk alongside of someone? That sounds like a great book. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that connection, right? To mm -hmm. a human instead of a statistic and how much right. longer a story like that is going to last. Um, mm -hmm. just makes tons of sense. I, you know, this aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru that we're helping, um, to build with a couple of partner organizations. Um, we, it's something that we've been talking a lot about is what, what type of skills training are we going to try and provide and give some kids options so that when they turn 18 and they, they leave the facility that they've actually got a skill set to go mm -hmm. out with that they want. Right. Yeah. Um, they had one kid, she turned 18 and went to a bakery school and has come back as a professional baker and has been teaching some classes. And we've got some uh, hand crank sewing machines that some people here have converted. It's a group called So Much Hope that they got this guy, he's a trucker and he goes to like awesome. Goodwill across America and like finds these old, like beefy, heavy sewing machines that can be, can be converted to hand crank instead of needing oh, electricity. Cool. Uh -huh. And then he yeah. gives, he gives them to charities like ours, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that a kid like this could learn this skill and then become a tailor, which is, you know, it's a higher profile job in their towns than it is necessarily here in the States. Right. Um, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I, I love that idea. Um, have to check that book out. Uh, yeah. ne next question here. We always like to ask if there's someone in your life that you feel like um, you want to share that set a good example specifically on how to treat others. You know, you talked about uh, receiving your hundred dollar gift. Is there anybody else that <laughs> that you would talk about or just someone in your life you feel like set the example for how to treat others? Yeah, I think um, there one of our advisors, her name is Lynn Johnson. She started this awesome organization called Heartistry and her whole entire impetus is like is about hospitality and how to use hospi hospitality is about the art of welcome and I think that goes back to what I was saying in the previous um, podcast about like how do we dis how do we welcome people 
in any sort of um, part of our lives, whether, as I said, at a trade show booth or whether we're just um, talking to a new supplier. And I think that she just really set that tone um, when I first met her. When I first met her house, I came into her house and I just felt so overwhelmed with a sense of love. Like I actually came home and it, she was not a relative of mine. And it just like wept because she just wel- she welcomed me at a stage in my career where I was not quite sure what I was going to do, but she said, you know what, I understand and I'm here and I'm going to be your champion. And I think that that alone in itself has really um, helped me understand what it means to be a servant leader, to just step into the shoes of someone, to understand what they're trying, what they're going through themselves and to say, you know what, I'm here. I'm going to be your champion. I'm going to walk this walk with you and whatever you go through, I'm going to continue to share with people what you're doing. And so she has always been an awesome example of that. And I do that for a lot of other entrepreneurs and friends as well. So I try to um, give them as much input in what they're doing and say, you know what, whatever I've learned, I'm happy to share with you now and walk alongside of you. So yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking about that idea and like, especially inside of an organization, right? You think about all the innovation that's needed to solve problems and come up with a better way and progress an organization. And mm-hmm. how much, like you talk about this idea of being a servant leader, like how much of an invitation is it to the people we work with to want to innovate on our behalf when we've served them first, right? Right, right. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, it's easy to have a very top-down mentality as a leader said, I know what's best. And even though I might feel that sometimes, I need to hold myself back and say, you know, what do you guys think? And I feel as if there's so much more value when they could contribute to the um, solution. And I feel as if um, people feel so much more valued. And it doesn't matter what position they're in. And we have interns that come in. I always ask them what they think. And I learn a ton from them, especially um, I don't like to separate generations, but everyone is perplexed by the millennial generation. But at the same time, I don't think that they're very different from us. I think in the end, millennials just want to connect and how they connect in their own meaningful way. And so if um, when we hire our interns, I think that they have so much value to give us and so much learnings and they probably know more code than I do and they're fixing stuff on my website. So I think that there's definitely like value to that. So. Well, and how much more are they likely to want to use that code when they feel like invited and welcomed at work instead of hating their job or, you know, like being, you know, you think about um, just kind of like bad news rolls downhill or Mm -hmm. trying to be polite about it. Right. Um, And when people don't feel like that's happened to them, they're in a state where they're more likely to want to innovate or inject that code on in your website on your behalf. Right. Right. They're yep. not sitting around feeling all hurt and, and abused, <laughs> right? Poor me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's great. Well, listen, um, so where can people find you? Will you tell us your Instagram and website and all this stuff? Yeah, you could find us on our website at Ellie Funday. That's spelled E-L-L-I-E, fun, F-U-N-D-A-Y dot com. And feel free to sign up on our newsletter to stay um, informed of all the fun stuff. We like to blog a lot, share about our stories. And Instagram is where you'll get a lot of snippets of our day-to-day. And Facebook is also great if you want to stay in touch with any sort of cool promos that we might have. So that's the best way to find us. That's great. Um, last parting advice. What's what's something you want to put out there for people? Mm, that's a good one. Last parting advice. <laughs> I would say... <sighs> Do what you love. And everyone says that. But 
when I say that, I say it with the true intentions of do what you love, because I think that that will just domino into the effect of where you will be the most effective. And I think that we've all been created for a reason and for a purpose. And in us, everyone has a certain gifting and talent. And I think that if you're if you do what you're made to be you know, doing, then I think that you will excel the best at it. And that's something that I'm learning myself. I'm still a creative. I'm not a numbers person. So I'm going to continue to do my best and putting out the best baby blankets, the best products out there so that people will see what we're trying to do. And I think that that in itself will show. And I think that when you concentrate on your strengths, it'll just be exponential in itself. So that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending so much time with us today. Thank you so much for having us, Jess. Okay. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.